Welcome to Fort Knox Podcast Edition. I am John Fort, and this is a show about money, power, and values, going deep with people who make things happen. Well, this is the very first episode, and my guest is Alexis Ohanian, an investor, entrepreneur, co-founder of Reddit, which you might know as a white-hot ball of social media discourse. It, it turns out Alexis is just a pretty chill 33-year-old guy who recently raised over $100 million with a couple of friends to invest in the future. You're about to find out how he got where he is, what his values are, and about the magic that sometimes happens at Waffle House. So, Here's what I want you to do when this is done. Head over to my Facebook page. That's John Fort, J-O-N-F-O-R-T-T, and uh, like it. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, you get a heads up when I'm doing a live edition of Fort Knox streaming video where you can comment and throw in your two cents like a live show, and I can give you a shout out. Or if you're the listening type, just subscribe in Apple's podcast app or on SoundCloud. Now, let's dive right in. Alexis Ohanian. So you've, you've turned yourself into this investor mm. who spots entrepreneurs who have a lot of promise. Mm. You're looking now at around a half a million to a million dollars that you're putting behind their ideas, hoping that mm. they become the next big thing. Yep. And everybody makes a lot of money. Uh, you, you co-founded Reddit, mm. which a lot of people know as a place where all kinds of people go mm-hmm. to share ideas. Yeah. To troll people, to do all kinds of <laughs> every now and then. Every now and then, it happens. Yeah. Not, that's not the only thing that happens mm-hmm. on Reddit, but it, it tends to get a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. But let's let's hit rewind for okay. the people who might not know you. Know you? Mm-hmm. Where are you from? Uh, I was made. I was made in Brooklyn. Made in Fort Greene. Mm. I uh, we moved out of Brooklyn. We moved to Queens when I was like three. Ridgewood, which apparently now is like really hip. I've been told hipsters are moving there now. Uh, Myrtle Ave, when we were living in Fort Greene, was definitely not full of hipsters. Um, <laughs> Just the 80s? Yeah, so I was born in 83. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, eventually my parents basically just got tired of doing the city thing. And, you know, they, 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 had, uh, they were looking at public schools and they just, they just felt like they didn't want to, they couldn't keep living that New York life. And it was tough. Um, so we moved to Maryland, moved to the suburbs of Baltimore, mm-hmm. where um, my dad was a travel agent. Um, where his dollars could go a little further and uh, went to Howard County Public Schools, which were some of the best in the country. And, uh, you know, they made that move out of the city and it it loomed over me because the suburbs of Maryland are very boring and very much not Brooklyn. <laughs> parallel lives here. I yeah. lived in Brooklyn from when I was two and a half to eight and a half. Right on. Which is like 78 mm-hmm. to 85. Yeah. Then we moved to Washington, D.C. There you go. And they're going to high school in Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh, right on. Maryland. So, so I feel yeah, you. You know. You lost a little street cred a moving to Howard cred. County from, from Queens. A lot of street cred. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I'll, I'll always be a Brooklyn boy, though. I, Ridgewood was all right. But no, I, like, I, was, I was made in Brooklyn. Very, yeah. very, very, very um, proud of that, especially because then when I was growing up in the suburbs of Maryland, it was the one distinguishing thing and like I'd go visit family here in the city a couple times a year and every time we'd come up here I would just grudgingly wonder like man this is so much cooler why are, why are we living here um, in hindsight I understand why my parents made the decision and it was a lot easier for them to um, get their dollars to go further in the burbs of Maryland and I, I look because I was so bored in the suburbs of Maryland I spent a lot of time taking apart my computer putting it back together 
getting into video games, which got me into programming, and that's obviously had a huge multiplier impact in my career. So I'm grateful for it. Now I just want to try to spend as much time living in a city for as long as I can uh, while, I can, <laughs> while I can make those decisions. Computer science major? What? No, I thought I might be for a week, and then I met my, my eventual co-founder, Steve, who was a CS major, and I basically got out of a small pond in Maryland, where I was the top of my class of you know thirty kids doing programming, so it wasn't a wasn't a very rigorous competitive group, to university level where Steve was just leagues ahead of me in terms of programming ability, and uh, so I got into that bigger pond and realized I was not going to cut it as a programmer. So I still took programming classes in college and I still did it for fun, um, but I ended up studying history and business. And uh, I minored in German, which I don't use very often, but... Uh, and school yeah. was UVA? Yeah, University of Virginia. Okay. Yeah, I was just exchanging a few wahoo-wahs with Tyler during the power lunch. He's also Tyler an alum. Tyler Matheson, CNBC yes. anchor, also big yeah. UVA alum. All right, so when does Reddit happen? Uh, Reddit happened... Well, the, the impetus for it happened when I was taking an LSAT, and I walked out to go to a Waffle House on Route 29 in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, because I was hungry. And as I was eating that waffle, I realized, you know what, I just left an LSAT. I clearly didn't want to be there. I'm considering spending three years and a lot of money doing something that I don't seem to really like because I'm sitting here eating a waffle instead. Hmm. So I shouldn't do that. And talked myself out of being a lawyer at that moment and resolved to do anything else. Uh, and I, I went home and talked to my friend Steve, who was working, basically already had a job lined up for him as a programmer. This is the same friend, Steve? This is Steve, my, the guy who I met moving day at UVA, who I went on to co-found Reddit with. And we were, we were best friends, we were living together, and we'd always talk about technology and things we wanted in the world. But it was that trip to Waffle House that made me realize, no, I think actually we should take a chance, start a company together, and see what happens. Worst case, you know, two years later, we'll just go get real jobs. Is Steve just computer science all the way through? Yes. yes Are so. you feeling adrift at this point? Because it sounds like you came in thinking, <laughs> computer science, uh, Steve's better at that than me. Maybe history and some uh, business. Ah, lawyer. No, maybe not lawyer. This waffle has convinced me. I mean... I think I, I went to college... I, I went to college knowing um, my, my great aunt, uh, Vera, who... Um, it's a good name for a great aunt. Yeah, yeah. Aunt Vera, um, she didn't have any children. And so she, and she was living, she lived in, in Brooklyn until she passed. Um, but she socked away a bunch, like everything she could. She was an educator her whole life, um, but she saved every bit she could to make sure I could go to college and not have to take on any student loan debt. So I didn't realize this until we were like applying to college. My parents and I was like, gosh, I don't know, like out of state UVA. Like, and my parents were like, it's fine. Like, we got to tell you, like, here's what happened. You're on Vera, did all this, this amazing thing for you. And so I went to college oh, wow. with the mentality that I was going to squeeze everything I could out of it in terms of accreditation. That's why I double majored. I actually had a distinguished major in history, so I even did extra work uh, to graduate with high honors, and, and I minored in German. Um, 
And why German? I well, my, so my mom was German, so I grew up speaking German, so it was probably the easiest minor I could have gotten. <laughs> so it's like minoring. Full disclosure. Right? <laughs> yeah, I should have. I probably should have challenged myself more, but it was it was great. I, I hey. you know got to keep that up. Smoke them if you got them. Um, exactly. And but I went there trying to get as much out of it as I could, and um, I'm grateful I did that. Um, and I, I, because it exposed me to a bunch of other, a bunch of classes and a bunch of things I don't think I would have normally done. And I spent a lot of hours in the library. I probably spent, I, the one thing I got wrong is I spent too much time obsessing over my GPA because as a business and history major, I just thought, look, I'm going to be a lawyer. I was going to be an immigration lawyer. I was like, Why I need to get, uh, well, my mom was fresh off the boat at like 24 and uh, and my father's family all emigrated uh, from Armenia or Turkey during the genocide. And so I'm from a family of immigrants. Um, and I really, I think I really understood at an early age how much it meant to, uh, certainly for my father's family, because you don't, as an Armenian, you grow up knowing from a very early age <laughs> the struggles of our people and like how important it is that we're here and we can thrive now yeah. um, but then even for my mom um, she was actually undocumented for about six months and then my my dad uh, put a ring on her and uh, got that taken care of documented it nice yeah um, but for her I saw how much this country meant and she wasn't coming for any reason other than frankly love it wasn't like when she left Germany it wasn't she wasn't fleeing anything per se it was just uh, an opportunity and something that was really important to her. And it was when I went to a, I went to her swearing-in ceremony. So it took her a minute to finally decide, like, no, I want to, like, I really want to do this. I want to become a citizen. And I remember, um, I was old enough, I was a kid, but I was old enough to really, really, really remember this. Um, I remember watching her and this room of people taking in the, the taking the Pledge of Allegiance for the first time. Mm. And you will be hard-pressed to find a room full of people more proud to be American, right? The military is probably the other exception. Um, but like, in terms of civilians, you'd be hard-pressed to find a room um, more proud because they weren't just, you know, I was just born into it because I was born in Brooklyn, and they had to earn it. Right. And that's a learn stuff about the country. Yes. Yeah. In fact, probably no, uh, probably no more of those fundamentals about, uh, about it than a lot of Americans, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and, and seeing that firsthand was just, it, it, it changed my entire view of things because, you know, I always, I always grew up being told how much I should appreciate it and how like grateful I should be for this opportunity. Um, but just seeing that, and I could see obviously in her how much it meant to her to be an American, and um, you know that's opportunity. And a lot of this is is it's swirled into, mixed into the the myth of America, and and there's a lot of truth in it. And it is that it is that new energy and that hunger and that chip on the shoulder that new American citizens bring to the country that makes us so vibrant, that hmm. makes, I mean, I see this in the entrepreneurs that I decided to invest in. Um, you can see this, it's sort of an unfair advantage they have. If they themselves are immigrants or they're the children of immigrants or they have this, this it's like a chip on their shoulder, really, because they saw firsthand what their parents or maybe their grandparents went through and, and they feel like they gotta earn it and they feel like they gotta make the most out of it. Let and, me take a long shot here. Yeah. How much did UVA, 
and the whole Jeffersonian influence <laughs> on uh-huh. UVA influence your thinking oh. about that and business and America? Because I know the UVA folks <clears throat> can get pretty nuts about uh, yeah. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, big TJ fans over there. Um, it certainly had an impact. I mean, he is absolutely lionized on campus. And for, I, I think, his, his best qualities were really, really impressive, like lifelong learning. I mean, he really was curious about everything and, and anything. And that's, that's probably one of the things that has really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think the other part of it that you can't deny is that he was also very, like, very much uh, very complicated in that um, you know, he authored some really important parts of American history that ostensibly talked about the rights of all Americans um, and the freedoms of all Americans, but was very obviously, I mean, he was a slaveholder. UVA was built largely by slave labor. And and he very much lived at a time that still kept slavery. Hmm? He kept his kids in slavery, right? In his house. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it is, I think, historically also, I mean, we have to look at it, you know, we, we have to obviously take the consideration of the time and the place and everything else, the greater context of it. But, um, but the fact that he was so complicated and was able to espouse so many great ideals that we all as Americans hold very dearly, but yet sort of compartmentalize them to only a select portion of the population. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a very problematic part of his legacy. Um, but it's an important one because it's, I mean, it's the legacy of this country. Can I go like intermediate history nerd on you okay. for a minute? Yeah. So like everybody else, I got hooked on the Hamilton soundtrack. Yeah. It got me thinking about <laughs> American history in a different light. And so I read uh, Ron Chernow's biography of George Washington because I figured right I'd on. Start with the OG. Yeah. Let me, yeah. George Washington. Let's yeah. go. So read that and then felt like this is making me dislike Thomas Jefferson so much. <laughs> well, and Hamilton and he were not friends. He, they were not. <laughs> then yeah. now I need to read a Jefferson biography to sort of balance it out. Mm. And the thing that strikes me about Jefferson was just this Republican ideal that he had mm. that, you know, it, it wasn't always the case that the founding fathers thought well, everybody should have a vote and mm-hmm. everybody should have a say mm-hmm. and all Americans are equal. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of them felt like, well, the people with the education and with the good breeding should really make the decisions, decisions and everybody else should, mm-hmm. you know. But Jefferson was like, no, everybody white. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, <laughs> which, yeah. which I guess was, a, that was the radical side of right. things back, yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. It was like, you know, but, but everybody pretty much mm-hmm. should have a seat at the table. Reddit mm-hmm. very much strikes me as this sort of Mm. Jeffersonian corner of the <laughs> web, right? Because you get a lot of ideas mm. on there competing. And some people might find it distasteful, mm. but I imagine you would argue the f- fact of the argument, the freedom of expression, mm. the fact that the ideas can flow is more important. Yes. And, and keep in mind, we have, we have boundaries. We have a content policy that we created, which is a set of guardrails. Um, and it's, it's like our Constitution, right? An imperfect document, but one that we're always looking to amend and improve. Um, but we are erring on the side of trying to give people as much freedom to express themselves as possible, while at the same time making as many people feel comfortable expressing themselves as possible. And that is a very fine line to walk. 
But we want to we want to err on the side of more discussion and more expression, um, because that's where we actually get progress, hmm. and because there have been. I think, in fact, even in the last five or ten years, we have seen a huge schism um, in America between people who feel like their voice is heard and people who don't, and people who feel like the media is representing them and people who don't, and people who feel like the establishment, authority, whatever you want to call it, figures care about them and people who don't. And... There is this, I, I think when, when a platform like Reddit is working at its best, we're exposing people to the range of perspectives right. and, and giving a place for discussions to happen and actually for people to change their mind. And That's the, a lost art, changing it, your mind. It is, you know, there is a, people are surprised when they hear this, but there is a, a quarter of a million people subscribed to a community on Reddit called Change My View. You can go to reddit.com slash r slash change my view where people are explicitly saying, I believe in X. I believe whatever, a fur is murder or the electoral college is stupid. Um, change my view. And you actually see very, very thoughtful. I mean, the, the Reddit commenting system really is the secret sauce behind it because the best stuff bubbles up mm. because everyone gets to vote on it. Um, and you actually see really, really well thought out, reasonable discussions and debates. And you actually will see people say, you know what? You changed my view on this subject. And what normally would be, you know, that sort of thing might take place. You know, actually, Jefferson had the, those, those Jeffersonian dinners, which were you know, every UVA grad needs to know about them, um, where there is a topic of discussion and everyone, no one is allowed to have only one person is allowed to talk at a time. So around the whole table, everyone is paying attention to the one speaker. And you get these experiences where people, you know, they get a glass of wine in them, they feel like it's this safe enough space where they can really be their authentic selves, and that's where opinions get changed. Hmm. And those conversations can now happen on Reddit, and instead of it just being the 10 people at the table, it could be 10 million, right? A quarter of a billion people come now, every month. One of the best things about Thomas Jefferson mm -hmm. was his reputation for civility. Mm. The idea that when he engaged with somebody, he would figure out what they knew about, mm. what they were excited about, mm. and he would talk about that. And he would try to make everybody at the table feel valued, mm -hmm. uh, especially if they weren't known by everybody else. It's really hard to do that in a digital form, right? Because there's mm -hmm. that sort of de-individuation effect. Nobody knows exactly who you are, so maybe mm -hmm. you don't feel as responsible for what you say. Ah, so I would argue it's the opposite on Reddit. You think? The reason is we have um, identity on Reddit. It's just not tied to the name on your birth certificate. So there's pure anonymity where there is no accountability because you are just, you are anonymous. On Reddit, you need a username. And it can be your name, it can be Alexis Ohanian, or it can be Purple Turtle 64 And that identity, although it seems kind of absurd, is meaningful because you have a history of comments, you have a history of feedback, you have accountability. And that's the reason why this experiment has managed to grow to 250 million people every month, because there actually is accountability here, but you also get the freedom and the security to express yourself fully. So you can, you can literally have a conversation about how much you love the Jets 
and talk about talk to the Jets community like you would in a sports bar, mm-hmm. um, and then hop over and have a really genuine discussion with all your fellow RuPaul's Drag Race fans and but talk about that get, discussion. Do you get then, super villains? Right, because uh, you got you got a <laughs> reputation to protect, and you got to mm-hmm. be consistent. But mm-hmm. what if somebody decides to be a consistent yeah. jerk? But it's just really funny about it, right? So mm-hmm. they're popular, but they're awful. Yes. I mean, that happens, right? Well, so that happens. That certainly happens with people using their government name and their photo. <laughs> <laughs> they could even. I mean, they could. They they could run for the highest levels of office doing this if they choose. I wasn't going to say it, but all right, yeah. Um, So that's clearly not, it's not just an internet phenomenon. What is so interesting to me is that we have these discussions happening every day. We have, like like I said, a, a population bigger than Brazil every month coming to Reddit, talking, using these usernames. And of all that content, only 0.02% of it ever gets reported by another user. Hmm. So if you see any comments or any posts on Reddit that you want to report for any number of the things that are reportable offenses, 0.02% of it ever gets reported. And and what's great is we've we've built a community team up, we've built a trust and safety team up over the last year. Like I said, we we codified our content policy last year. So we've done a lot of work to get that number to where it is, and we're constantly trying to get it down to you know near zero. But um, the reality is, you could still have a quarter of a billion people all talking online behind usernames, and the discussion, 99.90% of the time, is civil. Hmm. And I think a lot of that just plays into the fact that it's the, the outliers that get people's attention that people want to talk about. But the data is that actually the vast, vast majority of the time, it's, it's reasonable. So what's the future for this sort of community building and interaction? We've got technology like virtual reality that's yeah. coming into its own. Mm-hmm. There are lots of possibilities around having closer connections with people in VR. There are also possibilities around having uncomfortable interactions with people mm-hmm. in VR. Is that something where Reddit or even other companies that you're investing in mm-hmm. are looking to have an impact? Do you think that's potentially good for the sort of change my view uh, yeah. society you're trying to promote? I think, so as an investor, I'm still very, I'm bullish long-term on VR. It's happening, that's not, there's no doubt. I just feel like we're still in the Newton stage of it and not at the iPhone stage of it. Mm. Um, So I'm not, we're not making any big bets in VR unless they're really foundational because I think it's still gonna be years, I think it's gonna be years before most of these companies really find like a thing that works. Um, That said, what is interesting to me is the empathy that VR can create. So you can do clever things. We haven't totally, we've only seen demos at this point, but like I can actually see the world through your eyes and like I can basically walk a mile in your shoes mm. if VR is executed really well. And that could be really, really interesting. Um, you, they've done a few demos where like they basically put a man in a woman's body and a woman in a man's body where you you have your VR set, there's also a camera on it. And through some coordinated instruction, they can tell you to look down and the other person is looking down and you're seeing what, let's say if it were me, I would be seeing through the eyes of a woman who's sitting there looking, having this out of body experience. And that's like, that's the beta test. But you can imagine a very visceral moving thing when you have to walk through, when you're walking through environments, when you're walking through um, media that's created that really lets you experience what it is like to be, what is it like walking up, uh, you know, to have been getting off that boat at Ellis Island 
going to register for the first time or or having to be part of a, a of a, a sit-in at a, at a lunch counter. We can create experiences using this technology that actually let us get as close as we've ever gotten to empathy, yeah. which I think is a net positive for the world. Um, that's still a ways away. It's I mean, we're seeing demos right now, but in the next few years, I, I'm sure something like this is going to be uh, experienceable. Experienceable, that's a word. Sure, sure yeah, yeah. One can experience it. Um, <laughs> A platform like Reddit is so heavily text-based that we're still not even, I mean, a lot of text, a lot of images, we're still, we still have so many fundamental things we have to get right that we're not thinking about VR yet. Clearly, Facebook's investing a lot, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch. My, my hope is that the world of VR, the like metaverse that science fiction writers have been writing about for decades is not just the domain of Google or Facebook. Um, like the World Wide Web doesn't really belong to anyone, I would like that metaverse to also not really belong to anyone. Hmm. Um, we don't really have a good path to get us there yet, and I would love to see brilliant technologists smarter than me help us get there. But uh, in the interim, I think we're gonna see a bunch of really fun bells and whistles and like cool demos. But it's going to be a few years until we really see something where VR makes us go, wow, Like this has changed everything. Well, you got a few million dollars to help get <laughs> us there. There you um, go. Uh, Alexis, thanks for Thank sitting you, down. John. It's been a great My chat. My pleasure. Right. You like that? Well, don't be stingy. Share it. You can do that by following me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or all of the above, and telling your friends to tune in. Coming soon, I've got interviews with Bradley Whitford of The West Wing, All the Way, Alpha House, and more on politics and Hollywood. I've got Darren Walker, the head of a multi-billion dollar foundation, that's the Ford Foundation, who rose from humble beginnings in Louisiana, and a lot more. You don't want to miss that, so subscribe to the podcast, follow me on the social channels, share it out, and I will see you soon.